Uh, let's start. We'll read not the whole of the psalm, but we'll just read the first paragraph as an intro. A psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. It is good to praise the Lord and to make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. I don't know how you feel about singing, but God's word here says very clearly it is good to praise God through song. It is good. Now, there's lots of things that are good about uh, singing. Uh, the University of Melbourne recently released uh, an article that was detailing some of the ways that singing is good for us. Uh, see this? Graham, do I have that slide there? Can you, can you go back to the slide that's got some text on it from the University of Melbourne? Oh, there we go. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Another one. This one. Uh, here we go. Here's, here's five reasons they, they found why singing is good for us. Singing increases oxytocin levels and decreases cortisol. Uh, oxytocin is the kind of feel-good attachment-making hormone. Helps, build, helps us build relationships. Cortisol is the stress hormone. Singing increases the good one and gets rid of the bad one. Singing builds our connection to our culture uh, through building our awareness of language and our use of language and also the ideas that we sing about in whatever song it is. We pass on tradition to the next generation through song. Singing helps us regulate our emotions. Being emotionally engaged through music and song helps us as we do that. Singing can improve our physical health outcomes. Surprisingly, they've found that uh, for different ailments uh, that people had, if you sing regularly, there's better outcomes for those health conditions. And singing unites us together as we, as we share that experience of singing. It unites us in the common words that we express and also in the emotion together. Now, this is a secular research, but it's highlighting some goodness of singing. The psalm, the psalmist who's unidentified un here, argues that singing is good. Praising God in song is good. And it's not just good because it has, we get good out of it, but it's good because it's right. It's good to acknowledge what God is like, his love in the morning to declare his faithfulness at night. It's good to celebrate that. Singing is an appropriate way. Now, some people love singing. And when, when they read this, they go, yep, I'm on board. But some people uh, find singing a little bit awkward, <laughs> singing praises to God. Uh, there's different reasons why this is the case. Some people just don't feel confident in their own voice and singing their musical ability and they find that that they're not actually, they, well, they, they perceive that they're not actually contributing positively to the singing. They think maybe they're uh, undermining it for other people. Some people just uh, find following the words is difficult. That's the case here. If you've seen the Mr Bean episode, he just doesn't know the words, so he doesn't know what to sing. Uh, but there's different things, isn't there? Some people just find there's a difficulty of publicly displaying emotion. 
and because of maybe our uh, different expectations that we've grown up with, what it means uh, to behave as an adult or I think especially men find this aspect of it, uh, being, uh, being willing to engage emotionally publicly is, is difficult. And there's, there's lots of reasons why sometimes we, we struggle or we feel uncomfortable singing in different people, different ways. But what is it, what could it take to get from here to here? Uh, to be joyfully embracing singing. Yeah, yeah. How can we make this change? Well, we can't solve all the singing, uh, all these difficulties with singing in one go. But the psalmist in the rest of the psalm, he unpacks one problem, one obstacle that people have to singing. And it's not one of these things that I've mentioned already uh, that are more kind of to do with our own perception of singing but it's to do with the more the heart cause for singing. Have a look at me as we'll read uh, the next bit of the psalm. Not that bit. Done that bit. Here we go. No? Miss verse 4. Where's verse 4? Down the bottom. For you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts. This is the cause for for singing, declaring God's praise, isn't it? God's greatness. The things that he's done are worth celebrating. But here, here he he hits hits the problem. Senseless people do not know. Fools do not understand. They don't grasp this, the reality of God's greatness. Why? They don't understand that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever. There's a false belief that can stop people having that joy that is expressed in song. There's a misconception about God and the world that undermines people's joy in singing. What is it? People see the wicked springing up like grass and evildoers flourishing. They see the world is not as it should be. It's not the good that are prospering. It's not the righteous that look like they're being blessed. It's the wicked. Their experience of the world seems upside down in God's scheme of things, under his leadership and sovereignty. If he is faithful and good and does great things, then why are the wicked prospering? Why are things going well for them? It doesn't make sense. So people see lots of ways that things fail, their expectations, and it undermines their trust in God's goodness and it robs them of the joy in him that should be expressed in singing. But the psalmist calls these people senseless and foolish. Foolish. 
people who think like this. Because they've, although they've experienced real things in the world, they've missed something in how they've interpreted it. They've missed the temporary nature of this problem. They've missed how fleeting the flourishing of the wicked really is. See what he says? Senseless people do not know, fools do not understand that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever. In the short term, it may look like things are upside down and it's not working out as if God's in control. But in the long term, what's the end result? The wicked don't flourish forever. God will call things to account. And the evildoers will be destroyed, the psalmist says. See, it's this short-term thinking, this short-term interpretation of the world events, what's going on, that can throw us off balance. Because we live in the moment, don't we? We can't, we can't kind of get outside ourselves, our moment-by-moment perception of the world. And so the things that are happening in the temporary world around us, that's always, they're always present to us, aren't they? Whether it's the next nation that's rising up and using its power corruptly, whether it's the next relationship that we experience frustration in, the way someone lets us down, we keep experiencing these things one after another. We keep hearing in the news about terrorist attacks, about people not respecting the dignity of others made in God's image, but abusing them. We keep seeing the problems one after another. And in some ways we thrive off it, don't we? The bad news stories cut through and shock us and scandalise us and we want to read more. But because they're always with us, sometimes we, we forget to step back and see the big picture, which is what the psalmist wants us to do here, isn't it? The psalmist wants us to go big, to go long term. Don't just, don't just look at what's happening, the wicked flourishing right now. What's their end point? Destruction. And he breaks us down through the rest of the psalm. Let's read it uh, more together. Oh, we missed verse 8. Verse 8, but you, Lord, not like the wicked who will be destroyed, the wicked who flourish only temporarily, but you, Lord, are forever exalted. Surely your enemies, Lord, surely your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. This is a general principle, isn't it? God is over all forever. Doesn't ebb and flow like people's fortunes and circumstances? God is forever exalted to be regarded with honour and glory and he's ever in control, bringing about his purposes. And he will, he will 
have victory over his enemies. The evildoers will receive the fruit of their labour. And then the psalmist speaks from his own experience. He says, you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Horn's a symbol of strength. Fine oils have been poured on me. Fine oils being a symbol of prosperity. My eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries. My ears have heard the rout of my wicked foes. The psalmist can testify that God does do this. The wicked don't triumph forever. He does act to bring judgment. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They'll grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in an old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, The Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no wickedness in him. The psalmist wants us to be sure, wants his readers to grasp God is in control forever. In the long term, it is his purposes that will be achieved. Things will work out for the justification, the vindication of his cause. Right will be seen for to be right. The wicked will not prosper forever. Though it may look upside down at any given moment along the way, as we experience life, we might see evil winning or it might feel like evil is winning. That's not the big picture. That's not the final outcome. God promises prosperity to the righteous. He promises they will grow and flourish like trees, palm tree, cedar of Lebanon. What's what's causing this? Well, notice where they where these trees are growing. Cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. It's the temple, flourishing in the courts of our God. It's in God's presence. Isn't that the place where people will flourish? Not living as his enemies, working against him, but being gathered with him. They'll bear fruit trusting in his promise, trusting in his word to fulfill his faithfulness. It's founded on God's own character as the one who is dependable and secure, the one who is permanent, where everyone else lives what springs up like grass. And God is the rock. The one that can be trusted, the foundation we can build upon. 
Now, just to be clear, the, the psalmist is, is speaking here about prosperity and flourishing and growth. And it's easy for us to think, well, that means health, wealth, wisdom, all the here and now expressions of ease and comfort, power, popularity. It's easy to, uh, to, to read that in. And, and to some degree, God did bless his people in the Old Testament with physical displays of his pleasure. That was part of his agreement with them, with the Old Testament people of Israel, that if they walked faithfully with him, he would make things go well for them, give them peace from their enemies, give them productive crops. But as we read the Bible not as Old Testament Israelites, but as Christians today, we know that this long-term, reliable prosperity, this flourishing that God works in us isn't talking about merely physical things. It's talking about that richness and fullness of life that we only experience in being his people. That spiritual fruitfulness that he bears out in us here and now and in that full expression of his pleasure that we will one day experience when all evils are removed, when every evildoer will be called to account and the wicked will perish. Then our future will be the future of, endure, of enjoying the fruits of prosperity eternally with the God who is forever exalted. So friends, it's good for us to ask the question of ourselves. Are we sometimes reluctant to sing in praise of God? Are we being held back by a lack of joy, a lack of excitement in what God has done and is doing? Is it being undermined by ways that maybe we feel things aren't as they should be? Maybe it's just you're shocked by the news of what's happening in Palestine with Hamas and Israel. Maybe that's causing anxiety and tension and it's hard to sing confidently of God's goodness when you see the atrocities that are committed there. Maybe I imagine for lots of people today, as we experience the, the no response to the referendum, for many people be crying out, how can this be? They thought... We're holding on to the yes as a good thing that was good for Australia and now that's been denied. Many people might be asking the question, is God working for the good of Australia or is he working against it? Questioning 
Is this an upside down reality? Often it's more personal though, isn't it? Rather than world affairs or politics. Often it's just the small disappointments that get us offside, that affect us emotionally and make us feel not feel like singing, not feel like celebrating. It's just that we have to stand in line too long in order to get some bureaucratic document organised. And that, such a small thing can frustrate us so much, can't it? A simple word from a shop attendant. The way a driver behaves around us on the road can throw us off track and we feel things aren't as they should be. <laughs> Sometimes we are so temporary and short-term in our thinking, it's the tiniest things that can affect us, can sap our joy. Well, friends, let's, uh, let's heed the psalmist's advice here. Uh, let us be people who keep coming back to the big picture. There's a good, there's a place, isn't there, for the mountaintop experience where we step back and survey well, a big scene in its entirety, entirety. We don't just look at the small kind of things right in front of us. When we lie back and see the stars in the universe and remember how big God's creation is, there's a place for reading history and seeing the scope of what happens, not just over one lifetime, but over hundreds of lifetimes, thousands of years. There's a place for doing the science that helps us understand the magnificence of creation, how things work, whether it's the physics of astronomy or it's even the minuscule Microbiology can have that same effect. There's a place for us stepping back, uh, but most importantly when we do this, we need to step back so that we can see the centre of everything, don't we? So that we can see the cross. Because it's the cross at the centre of history that's the centre of God's plan what he's doing and achieving. When we see the cross, we can see clearly and definitively that God's plans are good, that he is faithful to his promises, that he is bringing about his purposes in the world and they won't be overthrown even by the wickedest of acts. The execution of the innocent son of God It's at the cross that we are reminded afresh that God is the rock that is dependable. There is no wickedness in him. Friends, maybe you, you're here today and you, you're hearing this and as not a Christian, as someone who is still hearing and thinking through these things. Maybe these are questions 
the injustices in the world, the pain and the suffering. Maybe these are questions that you're grappling with. Uh, Let me encourage you, just to encourage all of us, to see what God has done at the cross. To see all of the injustices of the moment in light of his big purposes and plans. To make a way that even wicked and sinful people like me and you can be forgiven. And that we don't have to face the everlasting destruction that we deserve and that would certainly come in the passing of time. No, instead, because of the Lord Jesus, we can hope to be planted in God's presence and grow and flourish like a palm tree or a cedar of Lebanon and experience the prosperity of being one of God's own people, growing and thriving in him and looking forward to not destruction, but sharing in life forever with our exalted Lord. Friends, there's an important place for stepping back and seeing the big picture. It's an important place for us remembering God's goodness, his character, the cause we have for rejoicing. I'm going to finish with some words from a song. A song we, we're not going to sing it, just putting it out there, just so you don't get caught up in it too much. Uh, but it's a song we, we, we used to sing, but it's got some, some great words along these lines. Let me read to you. Come and stand before your maker, full of wonder, full of awe. Come behold his power and glory, yet with confidence draw near. For the one who holds the heavens commands the stars above and he's the God who bends to bless us with an unrelenting love. We are children of the promise, the beloved of the Lord, one with everlasting kindness bought with sacrificial blood, bringing reconciliation to a world that longs to know the affections of a father who will never let them go. Rejoice. Come and lift your hands and raise your voice. He is worthy of all praise. Rejoice. Sing the mercies of your king. And with trembling, rejoice. Now let us be people who are joyful in the Lord, in Jesus. Let us overflow with that joy in singing. Amen. Uh, Would you stand as we sing now a different song? (laughs) Celebrating God's faithfulness that endures throughout time, all the temporary ups and downs.